Welcome to the podcast, Science of Caring. I am Dr. John Nelson, and today I have my friend and colleague as a guest, Marie Manthe, who is an expert globally in primary nursing. And we will be sharing about that uh, for our session today. Thanks, John. Um, You and I have known each other for a long time with a mutual passion in the way nursing care is practiced on human beings. And I am delighted to be engaged with you in this conversation today. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, Marie, it's my pleasure. And to start this conversation off, Marie, if you would just share the history of primary nursing for those who aren't familiar with that uh, model of care delivery, that would be a that would be great. Well, the history is really long and very, uh, and I don't mean just my lifetime with it, but I mean the history of this level of care, this type of care is very uh, prolonged. Um, In fact, the first article that I ever wrote about the work we were doing in care delivery at the University of Minnesota Hospitals, the first title of the first article ever written about this system was entitled Primary Nursing, My Patient, My Nurse because that essentially is what primary nursing is. It was designed uh, almost by accident, but by passionate nurses who knew that the way they were delivering care in the old system simply was not uh, satisfying to them, it was not beneficial to patients, and that the, the system within which they were working was actually antithetical to their ability to deliver the kind of care they had been taught to deliver and they had in their hearts to deliver. And so the history of how primary nursing got started is I think unusual in that it was not a part of a plan change. It was not developed in an educational environment uh, institution. It was not a research project. It was not even a student's project of any kind. It was a system that developed in an organic way by giving a staff of a particular unit permission to change the way assignments were handled. To give a little context, this was 1968. And contextually, uh, in 1968, the world in the United States of America, at least, was in an uproar. We had all kinds of civil rights, uh, civil disobedience. We had anti-war disobedience. We had a lot of protests. We had a lot of things going on outside of the hospital, which was still marching along pretty much in a pseudo-military, pseudo-bureaucratic format of of, um, rigid rules and regulations and and policies. The delivery system that was in place all over the United States and was in fact required for credentialing, which I didn't understand uh, when I was involved in changing it, um, was called team nursing. And today it's sometimes quite often misunderstood in that they perceive it to be involving teamwork which it didn't almost, uh, it was almost directly opposed to the concept of teamwork. It was very functional, very time-focused, very task-focused. Relationships were accidental. 
a relationship between a nurse and a patient occurred by accident. It wasn't really an expectation. And so nurses were learning something called Comprehensive Nursing 101, where they were learning how to take care of a whole patient, do all the things that the patient required, put it all together into a context of understanding of what was happening with this person clinically, sociologically, et cetera. That's what they were learning. And they were coming into the hospital all over the country. University of Minnesota was not at all unusual, where their job as a team leader actually meant a manager of lesser prepared people. So floors were divided in half. Each half had a team leader who was an RN by law. And under that RN would be any number of LPNs and nursing assistants, depending on the size of the unit and the amount of staffing that there was. The job of that team leader was to make sure that everything was done on time. Everything was documented. Everybody went to coffee on time and went to lunch on time and back on time and left duty on time. And it was very, very much a role of what we learned how to, what we sort of named sarcastically, a checker upper for cheaper doers. <laughs> and it's apt. It's not pretty, but it's apt. And so there was other stuff going on on this 23-bed medical unit at the university at the same time. It's interesting. It would perhaps be the subject of another podcast because we were doing six other studies. We were doing, others, we were doing actual studies. What happened with primary nursing was not a study. As I said before, it was an accidental change. Um, but there was so much going on that unit that the staff nurses and all the nursing staff, I should say, were becoming very frustrated and um, unhappy. They had been good nurses. They had had a good unit. And all the studies we were doing and all the other things we were looking at was having the effect of really uh, interfering with their self-confidence and their sense of being good nurses. And so in frustration, they, they talked about quitting all at once. Well, this was 1968, and all kinds of things like that were actually happening, so that I became quite nervous about the idea of a whole staff quitting. What would the hospital do? What would we do? How could that be? And so the supervisor and I put our heads together and decided to have a night meeting at my house of all the staff. And I called up my husband. I said, pick up the house. (laughs) The whole group is coming over for a meeting. And we ordered pizza. And uh, we sat around the fireplace and we drank beer and drank wine and talked about how to make things better. Wow. And that night, that, that, that night, the nurses asked if they could please handle their assignments in a way that made sense for them rather than be team leaders. And so they figured out that night how to do it the next day. And the supervisor and I said, yes, they could do that knowing we didn't actually have that authority. This was going, without being conscious of it, this was going for forgiveness rather than permission. So what happened? I was terrified that the next day that we were going to forget a patient, we were going to forget a med, we were going to do something that would have a disastrous impact because all the check and, the check marks were not being followed. All the ways we have checking, making sure that the temperatures were all done, the blood pressure were all done, the best, all those things were sort of gone by the wayside. We were gradually just eliminating them. And so to make a long story 
much, much shorter. Um, I didn't tell anybody what we were doing. So we didn't go to the medical staff and tell them what we were doing. We didn't tell the chief nursing CNO. Uh, I didn't tell my colleagues. We just, I just sort of kept my fingers crossed and kept waiting to see what would happen. And as they began to make these changes and began to do what made sense for them, we were able to see it at an organizational level. I, I was working with a group of people who had organizational, anthropological, sociological uh, backgrounds. And so we were able to understand what was happening when we changed the organizational structure of the functions that the practices were changing, but we weren't talking about it to anybody. So one day, about three or four weeks into it, the admission clerk called me up and she said, what are you guys doing on station 32? And I said, why? Because <laughs> at this point in time, nobody knew what we were doing. And she said, because all the doctors, all the medical doctors are asking to have their patients admitted there. And we wondered if you got more staffing or what, what was making it different. And that's the first time I realized that we were having an impact on the organization that was important. So from that, John, we began to just understand a lot more. It was a learning time. It was definitely a learning time. The first, I'd say three to six months of that experiment on Station 32 resulted in our understanding of organizational principles and how the way they are defined impacts the way people behave. And that was the biggest insight I had that if you wanna change behavior, one of the approaches that works is redesigning or changing the principles within which that work is taking place. And we realized the principles of the old system were pretty, um, these obviously they came from some other place besides taking care of human beings. The principles were much more militaristic uh, uh, and industrial. That was the right word, industrial. It was take the lowest skill required task, have the least skilled person do that for all, for everybody, and then you have an efficient system. And so the principles of the old system, and I could go on and on about this, but I'm not going to, um, were such that you ended up with people running around doing a lot of tasks, but not really involved in a relationship with the patient. I remember one time, John, way before this, when I was a student working on a, I was already an RN, uh, but I was working uh, uh, a couple of extra shifts in the hospital and I was taking care of surgical patients. I was a team leader with 20 surgical patients, an LPN and two aides under me. And these were big, big surgeries. And I went home that night to the dorm where I was staying. And I remember, wake, I remember being awake at three o'clock in the morning and I just started crying because I realized I didn't know the name or the diagnosis of a single one of the patients I was responsible for that night. And that's not the kind of nurse I am, but that's what the system was like for the people who were working in those systems. So anyway, uh, as primary nursing evolved, we saw it and we came to understand it, we could describe it, we can develop, we could, I was able to develop the language for the role of the primary nurse. We didn't have language for that kind of a role at that time. 
Actually, I borrowed RAA, which I know you've heard me talk about forever, Responsibility, Authority, and Accountability. I borrowed that from the military leadership uh, books that I was reading. So um, after about the first year, we wrote the articles and we began, we did a seminar. We began to introduce the concept to the, uh, to the nursing profession locally at first and then eventually nationally and internationally. One more thing I want to say before I leave this piece is that doing it on 32 was one thing. Station 32, a 23-bed medical floor at the University of Minnesota. Getting it successful and having it hum there was one thing. And I had been involved already in many, many, many innovations on a single unit that never went anyplace else. And I was afraid that that would happen with primary nursing. We worked on 32, but could we take it anyplace else? And to do that, what I had to learn how to do was to change the language that worked for the particular medical unit into language that would be universally appropriate in any setting where there were patients and nurses. And we were able to do that by the second year, I think, and that allowed us to begin to help people export it, help us export it from the University 20, Station 32 to the rest of the university hospital and then elsewhere. That is so fascinating, Marie, and I hadn't heard much of that. I've read it, read about it, of course, and I've done research in it. Um, after you um, started this, after you had dinner with all those nurses and then the next day you changed things, how long till you published? See, I think that some of these dates going by so fast we have trouble, we have trouble recapturing. We started between 68 and 69. Our first report was published in 69, wasn't published, it was produced in 69. The first seminar we ever did was 1970 at the university and the first oh the first two articles were also 1970 and they were published in nursing forum which was an obscure uh reader's digest sized journal and i was told i was it was suggested to me that i send it there because it wasn't peer reviewed and if Alice Clark, the publisher, liked it, she'd put it in right away. So she put ours in, the first one, my patient, my nurse, right away, months after we submitted it, it was in. And then months later, Marlene Kramer came. Oh, and she and I co-authored the second article in which she acted as a reporter and went around and interviewed patients and nurses and describe what she saw. So that was the second article. And she was doing her work at that time on bureaucratic versus professional. You remember what was the name of her um, by, uh, by professional, bureaucratic professionalism? Yeah, yeah I can't remember. Um, yeah. Reality, I know Shock. Reality Shock was the book. She was collecting data on when she was visiting my hospital, University Hospital. We were engaged in that. We were one of her sites for her research. And so while she was there, it was so funny, Janet, because I, I had written two obscure little articles. I think as a master's student, I published one on patient interviewing. But the, the, the first one we published was Agony, uh, where I worked so hard. We all worked so hard. It just, oh, it was terrible. So then she came a few months later, and she talked about this design of her being the reporter and me filling in the background. Yes, I said, that'd be fine. And I said, um, I said to her, I said to her, 
Marion, how many articles have you published now? How many? And she said, oh, God, Marie, I don't have any idea. I thought, what must that be like to not know how many articles you published? <laughs> now I can say, please don't ask me. Yeah. Um, but she said, well, we're going to finish this by the time I leave in three days. I said, well, that, that's a, <laughs> I can't possibly write. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, we did. We had it done in three days. Wow, how interesting. And are you were you completely surprised that it went global, primary nursing went global, or did you have a suspicion it would go global? I had no idea it would go any place really. I was really doing one step at a time. I was over my head in a way in that I had never studied change. I was not I was not well versed in research. You probably know about my first foray when um, uh, we had a lot of support from hospital administration in these early years. And uh, there was a meeting in um, Kansas City, Missouri, I believe. And I was invited to speak to the faculty about primary nursing because one of the hospital administrative faculty members here had a position there and he was very excited about what we were doing. Um, and nobody in nursing anywhere was, but he was in a position big enough to invite the faculty to come and listen to me. And it was in a terrible amphitheater. And I was scared to death about speaking. I would get sick to my stomach. And I, I, I had a hard time, a hard time putting two sentences together. But I really got ready to it. And I, I stood up there and I started talking about it, started explaining and how it was working. I got this hand up faculty member there said to me, what research have you done on this idea? And I said, well, basically none. We've done a lot of data collection about the baseline of what the operations on that unit are, but that's not research and it's not about primary nursing per se. With that, she got up and walked out of the auditorium in front of everybody. It was like, oh my God. It couldn't have been a clearer message wow. that without research, there was no value. Wow. And that was just one of my forays into some of the attitudinal issues that were separating us at that time. Wow. Well, now let's for fast forward, Marie, to um, where you and I were, uh, where you and I met. And I'll give a little background of that because um, you were, you uh, Primary nursing is where my career in analytics began. Yeah. So I was working as a staff nurse. I, I had been in the ministry prior to nursing, and I went into nursing because I thought nursing could be a ministry, which it is. And uh, but it it paid better, and uh, I it had more um, technical stuff. I was fascinated by the technical stuff in nursing. So. I um, got my two-year degree, then I went and got my four-year degree, and it was when I was getting my master's, no, no, it wasn't my master's degree, I was, it was still, I just had my, uh, four, I think it was just my four-year degree, and I think I was actually getting my four-year degree. I think you were too. Uh, so um, I was working in, an, in a critical care unit, and they uh, they were doing primary nursing, and I loved primary nursing because with with primary nursing you are responsible for that patient's care from admission to discharge, 
and you are you oversee their plan of care, you are in charge of the collaboration, you are in charge of the relationship with the patient and family. So I loved all of that because it was relational. And since I came from the ministry, it, it, it really helped me understand how to care for the person, not only physically, but emotionally, spiritually, all those things that nurses do. And so then my manager, who I had a good relationship with, uh, informed us that we were going to change to team nursing like you talked about. And I, and I knew, I, I thought, oh my gosh, no, we can't. Uh, this is one of the reasons I love coming to work is because I get to see that same patient who I've developed a relationship with. And I want to see how they've progressed that next day. So I, in my, with some distress, I asked the manager, could she hold off on proceeding with team nursing until we looked at the data? Well, you've just mentioned that there, you, you know, you weren't into research, and I found that there was no research in primary nursing. I didn't find any data, and so, but I found I found your name, <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'm going to call this person, and I found a few others uh, that were active in, uh, you know, this format of care as well. But you were the one that I saw the name the most. So I called you and I asked, "Have you? Um, do you have any research in this?" And you said no. And so did the others. The others didn't either. And so I said, um, "All right. Well, I'm going to just see if I can g uh, gather some data about this." Well, I didn't like math at the time, and I thought, "Well, I and I don't know how to do analysis." So I went to um, the university and I took a class in statistics. Now this was over months, it wasn't over just a week, it was over months that all of this is happening. And I discovered I liked mathematics because when we, when our, my statistics instructor, she had us lay out this bag of M&Ms, and I've told this story before, but she, we laid out our M&Ms, each of the students, and then she had us put them in groups and so we were talking about the ANOVA procedure, which is a comparison of groups. And I, a light bulb went off and I said, so I can compare types of nurses. I can compare different units. And they said, okay, yeah, that's what ANOVAs are for. And I thought, well, why aren't we doing that? <laughs> <laughs> so then I got all excited and I went and got my master's in statistics. And while I was getting my master's in statistics, that's when I called you and these other uh, four uh, that were involved in this. Um, and I said, let's create a measure of primary, of primary nursing. So then the, uh, together we all created this instrument that measured primary nursing. And um, so then after I finished my master's, I called you and I said, all right, Marie, I have this data I want to show you. And so I went over to your house and I sat down and we reviewed my thesis because uh, it was my master's degree. And then I was going to continue this work in my PhD, but I wasn't there yet. So I presented the results to you and you, um, you weren't super um, dynamic but what I learned was inside you were on the <laughs> ceiling with excitement because I got home and I received a call from some people from Creative Healthcare who do relationship-based care and primary nursing and leading and empowering organization, all these wonderful um, healthcare-related interventions. And they said, uh, we heard you had a, and it was the executive team, 
from the company which you oh, founded. the company that I founded. Yep, you founded. Yep, <laughs> uh, based on primary nursing, and then it grew to you know the RAA and all those other things. Um, so, uh, but anyway, so they said Marie Manthe called us and said we need to meet with you. And so at that time, the Mega Mall or the Mall of America in Bloomington was brand new. So we uh, met down at the Mall of America at a restaurant and they said, so tell us about your research. So anyway, so I explained to them about what I found. Well, that's all it took is that's where my work with you and with creative healthcare and in relationship-based care and studying the impact of that relationship as where care starts. Yeah. yeah. And um, so anyway, now here we are. Um, how many years later? I don't know if that was 20. Let's see. I founded my company in 2001 and it was before that. So it was probably about, 1997, 1996, yeah. I would say, yeah. that um, I was doing this work. And here I am uh, 25, 30 years later, and I'm still studying primary nursing, and I'm finding that it is important globally. Yeah. Um, and we're studying it, studying it. Uh, you know, um, John, it's so interesting that we're talking about this historically because I'm also, you know, I've got one foot in the future. I'm sure you do too. We can't be even gone through the pandemic without having one foot in the future. And uh, and we know that the technological changes that advances that have happened because of COVID, uh, some of them are gonna stay and that, um, and that things are gonna change in the world we can't even begin to imagine yet. But the thing that I'm really focusing on, and I, and I had a wonderful conversation with a physician this morning who's focusing on the same kinds of issues, is that no matter what the technological changes are, um, our work has to be grounded in human values. And because the nature of humans isn't subject to quick change, the, the values that were embedded in our profession uh, historically, the legacy values are still relevant. And as we go into the future, one of the things that we know for sure is that nursing is about relationships. You know, uh, uh, Florence Nightingale uh, articulated the art and science of nursing. And the science we understand pretty well these days, but the art is the relationship. And without that, I love one of the sayings of my, of the, my colleagues in creative healthcare management, that if there's if relational incompetence is as intolerable as clinical incompetence. And so as we go into the future, what we know for sure is because we're going to be dealing with human beings, no matter what else is going on uh, technologically, um, artificial intelligence or whatever, we're still dealing with human beings. And therefore, the fundamental values need to be, uh, need to become, need to be, kept, need to be intentionally kept in our consciousness as we move forward. Well, I think that's such an important point, and especially in, like you had stated, that the relationship rem remains central yeah. to the process of healing with amidst all of the technology. Yeah. And what I find as an analyst and someone who uses predictive analytics to show outcomes, I think just as who you just referenced, Florence Nightingale showed mathematically the importance of 
basically germ theory, which really didn't have scientific premise then, but she showed that if you have a clean environment, you wash your hands, you have clean sheets, um, et cetera, that, that patients will heal. And she really made an impact on outcomes. Yeah. Well, I think that as we go toward technology, I think that the inclusion of the relationship in our mathematics will show that that relationship between the patient and the caregiver is critical for sustaining good outcomes and lower cost. Right. Now, the technology is glitzy and it looks sexy and we think, oh, that looks like that would be a great way to do it. But I think it absolutely comes down to that interface between the patient and the caregiver to understand not only what they want in care, but what the response is to care. So, so here's the issue I, I, I think we're coming up to, um, to have to deal with. And that is that the world has pre-COVID even become very, pre-COVID specifically, become very materialistic. And we are uh, numbers driven. We are financially driven. If it's if it's if it's good for the investor, it's good for society. We've got some notions that have been operating that have been driving uh, society in particular directions that we now discovered through COVID are not particularly healthy. And things have changed with COVID, where we've been forced into a less materialistic focus, a less materialistic, a less financially driven uh, decision making process about who we are and what's important to us in life. Now, I don't expect that that, that that materialistic thrust is going to just disappear, but I think there is going to be some counterbalancing going on with the things that we learned in COVID that are really important to us, family relationships, et cetera, is going to have, is going to be something we can use to maintain some kind of balance, a better balance between relationships and the technological glitz, as you call it, the, the uh, technological parts of care that, can, that have been in the last couple of years pre-COVID taking over the consciousness of clinical practice. It has been a struggle for nurses to inject time even for a relationship, for, for communicating intentional presence. That has become a huge challenge and it doesn't even take time it takes mental attention, but with all of the other things demanding the mental attention of the nurse, the beepers and the buzzers and the things that are going wrong if this drip isn't going to, are, are consuming the human capacity of the nurse to the detriment of having space and time for relational. So what I'm hoping for, and what I think we need to start articulating, is taking what we learned in COVID and making sure that uh, the value of relationships is built into the value system of our healthcare. Yeah, no, I don't know I, how to do that, but I think that's what we have to do. Well, I think um, the ability to make primary nursing visible from a research standing really began with you making a decision to create a system where nurses can enact care as they deem fit. Right. 
that they can work with that patient, they can have continuity of care, that they can collaborate and care plan with them. So from an analyst perspective, what you have provided is the ability to measure the acts of the nurse with that patient. And that's, that's really mathematics. Right. And I think in this day and age, it's going to be imperative that nurses get their math right to show that primary nursing is central to not only good job satisfaction, because I find globally primary nursing is almost always one of the top three variables for nurse job satisfaction. Yeah. But I think it's also important to be able to show that in these mathematical models, you can have patient data to show the outcome. You can have system data to show the patient outcome. But you have to have the beliefs and behaviors of the staff. Are they, do they have role clarity? Right. Do they understand their authority? Do they understand their uh, accountability? All those things you've taught yeah, over true. the years in primary nursing, in relationship-based care, those are the pieces that allow them to bring the patient toward healing, not only toward healing, but also in a good experience where this is the healing they want. So whether the healing is death, because healing sometimes is death, but is the healing, um, you know, getting out of the hospital, you know, right. what helping them through those transitions. So until we include the variable of staff belief and behaviors, our models will always be mis misspecified. Right. It's, it's like we're studying the first three-fourths of the story and we never read the uh, other part of the story so no wonder we don't understand why healing doesn't occur is we need to include the variable of the staff uh, staff belief and behavior in order for our math to make sense and inform of what the important variables are as it relates to outcomes. You know, maybe another podcast would be could be around primary nursing in all of the settings where care is given. Uh, <clears throat> as we continue this pathway of scientific care and higher acuities and more radical as we as we move towards hospitals being ICUs where patients are in for a couple of days of highly intensive stuff and then they go into a subunit where they're there a longer period of time. Uh, as we look at that dynamic and even even some of the stuff that happened during COVID, I'm fascinated by the hospital at home concept. The hospital at home concept where they're sending people home with the kinds of procedures that were only nursing procedures two days ago. Uh, and now all of a sudden people are being having so <clears throat> nursing's role, <clears throat> I think, is gonna be much more diffuse. And I worry that if we don't clarify it with strong primary nursing in the home, in the hospital, in the um, long-term care um, transitional units. Uh, in all the places where professional nursing care needs to be practiced, if we don't begin right now articulating that role and why it's important to be able to demonstrate that it leads to better health for less cost, we're going to move into even a third class system where nursing is done at a much lower level for much less preferred people than it is now. 
No, I I completely agree. And I think what's important in that is saying you practice primary nursing is one thing, but actually teaching primary nursing is another thing, just like anything in the garage isn't a car. Um, I mean, just because it's in a certain place doesn't mean that that's what it is. And just because a nurse is in a hospital and says he or she is a primary nurse doesn't make him a primary nurse. It's important that the nurse understand the role of the primary nurse in the care planning, in the collaborating, because physicians and respiratory therapists, housekeepers, security, the entire team is important. And it is the nurse that has clarity of how to use the system is aware of their own self. Now you're going to hear Jane Felgen in this <laughs> role, clarity of self, role, and system. But it's important that they they have an understanding of what their professional role is, and that just caring isn't enough. You have to have an understanding of the process of care, like primary nursing. I mean, it's not that dissimilar from Gene Watson's um, concepts of caring. That caring sounds like such a nice word, but Really, to be effective in caring, you have to understand what's the action of caring that has the impact toward healing. And that's the same thing with being a nurse. What does it mean to be a primary nurse from admission to discharge and to do all those different things that you do? And that's why I love the relationship-based care model that embraces primary nursing, because that provides a framework for the entire organization to make primary nursing operational. So, I mean, what's what's the point of having a title if you haven't made it operational and you haven't examined it operationally? And what we found with the corporatization that's going on, and that's another um, barrier that's sort of being thrown up in a way, as, as, as hospitals become part of big systems, system decisions oftentimes create cultures that are, uh, create barriers to what we're talking about to relationship-based care as the uh, focus of the entire organization, of entire hospital. And so the corporatization issue um, is one that we need to, we need to deal with. And we have gone from, you know, writing about and teaching and developing relationship-based care to now it's about re- creating relationship-based enterprises. But this is a big step for most people in leadership positions in healthcare to even begin to comprehend, let alone to swallow and begin to digest. Uh, it seems to me that the truth in the relationship-based care cultures, advancing relationship-based care cultures book is still, I think particularly since COVID, it's, it's, uh, it's extremely beneficial and powerful but people have not had a beginning or even a chance to begin to comprehend it. But until we get the systems and the institutions and the bureaucracies refocusing their intention beyond regulation and finance, we've got some really big barriers that interfere with exactly what you're talking about. I've seen hospitals doing really good primary nursing, have a change in CEOs, who is maybe someone who is a little bit less comfortable with strong nursing, strong nursing department. I've seen this mm-hmm. too many times. Mm-hmm. And that attitude of trying to suppress a strong professional department 
begins to have an effect on staff nurses at the bedside. It's the it's the most incredible thing. So I have I, I feel quite strongly that there's a, a need for a change in the focus of leadership of our institutions mm-hmm. uh, around being more supportive of the relational aspects. It's not that it's going to cost more money; it's going to cost less money. But they can't see the dollars and cents. No, I have I have found that when nurses become clear in their role, not only their own in, independent, interdependent, and dependent aspects of right. their role, right. but when they understand what the others on their unit understand, that decreases their workload because they work more efficiently right. Right. and collaborate uh, better. Now, uh, Marie, I know we're um, uh, approaching our t- um, time here, but um, I know that creative healthcare, which you founded years ago has been such a big part of your life and I would be remiss in not talking about when you started primary nursing and you you founded creative health care down on Grant Street I think it was in Minneapolis when you had your office down there the first eight years it was in my home on oh okay and then you were on Grant Street and then you yeah. then you moved, uh, moved down uh, as your group but could you just talk a little bit about how the primary nursing grew into the framework of relationship-based care because I think it is important to understand that primary nursing needs to have a framework yeah. uh, of care within a system like you talk about. I'll try. Um, you know, earlier I said that there was confusion about the difference between the delivery system of team nursing and the concept of teamwork. And as I was dismantling team nursing, my own hospitals and as a consultant, I was clearer and clearer than ever that teamwork was essential to successful primary nursing. And that's why the leadership course was developed so that managers could facilitate and lead teams. And also the commitment to my coworker card was created as a statement of of ground rules for interpersonal relationships at the group level. So as this work went from the nurse at the bedside to the group of nurses working together at the unit level to all the nursing nursing units in the department, other people were seeing the change when you inspire and empower people, which is what the implementation of primary nursing does. It's, a, it's, a, it's important for people to know when we say primary nursing, we don't mean slapping a new behavior onto people. We mean providing a process that results in a transformation of individuals who work in the house, who work as nurses, into a, a better self, transformation to a better self in a way. And they could see that this was resulting in nurses who were alive, aware, alert, and really enjoying their practice. And we began to have people wanting it for their department. So RT, PT, and different hospitals would ask, they, they asked if they could have a commitment card that would work for non-nurses. And so we found that there was a, a hunger for what we were doing in nursing to bring it out to the whole hospital. And Jane Felgen, who you already mentioned, she was the genius who, who brought it into the laundry room. I'll never forget one of our first hospitals, uh, merger hospitals in New York State. Um, well, uh, she was implementing relationship-based care in the laundry. And one of the workers said something to the effect, she said, I've worked in this, I've worked in the laundry for 25 years. And I always thought my job was to clean the sheets that nurses would put on the beds. She said, now I'm cleaning sheets that are going to touch the skin of a sick person. Mm. She said, I've got a different job. Wow. Yeah. And so that kind of cultural change 
in the granular level is what we know can happen at the institutional level. And so um, that's why, that's the way in which, and as we evolved in bringing it out to departments, we saw that we really needed to get the executives in at a champion, as, as champions of the change. And that's where sometimes we ran into a roadblock, as I said, when, especially with uh, insecure CEOs who were uncomfortable with empowered staff. Um, but the, the notion that relationship-based care can become a philosophy and a vision and the culture of, of an institution is critically important. And, you know, I know that the work of creative healthcare management has resulted in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hospitals in the United States and in other countries uh, having the benefit of the experience we had about how to make that kind of transformational change occur. You can't force it down people's throats. You have to let it, you have to help them evolve and you have to have leadership skills to do that. So our work on primary nursing and relationship-based care has gone through, um, you know, throughout the United States, here and there. We don't, we've never had a universal statement in the United States that this is what we're going to do. We've never had any organization saying this is what everybody should do. So it's always been organic change right from the get-go in my basement, in my living room, in my, in the, with the fireplace going right from that night throughout to today, it has been organic change. It has never been fostered or required by any organization or institution. And the same way throughout Europe and England, I remember the first time I went to England and we began to work with a, a group of change agents over there for the entire country. And Germany, the same thing. So uh, it's a, it's an idea that it's a way of being. It's not an idea. It's a way of being that results in a change in the individuals and in the uh, culture that has a a healing effect for both for both the staff and the people who receive care there. Oh, that's that's so good. Well, Marie, I, you and I could probably talk all day because this has such meaning to both of us. And I think we it's not meaning to us. We know how important it is for care. We know this. And it's more than just a hunch. We've shown this empirically. On my right shoulder, I have the Measuring Caring, uh -huh. where Jean, Dr. Gene Watson and I were the editors, and we have uh, 45 studies. And much of that is about caring and relationship-based care as well. It's a 2012 book. But it does address what you just said. It creates a transformation of the individual. And we show in this particular book that um, the uh, nurse does evolve as they implement relationship-based care. We saw, for example, when nurse, and uh, I'm talking about a hospital, uh, Georgia Persky is uh, one of the authors along with me and Jane Felgen. So if, if uh, you have this book, there's two chapters that we show how staff actually evolve. And what we found was when when nurses start with relationship-based care, what predicts primary nursing is the schedule. But by the time they've had all those programs, what predicts primary nursing is their professional knowledge. So they go from an external source of uh, professionalism to an internal source. Right. So, but anyway, um, well, and then I, w I will say, I we may want to do a, a follow-up 
We may want to do a follow-up uh, uh, podcast or follow-up video on this because our new book is coming out, uh, which uh, Jane Felgen, Marianne Hozak, and I were the editors, and it's from nine countries. And again, looking at these concepts of clarity and you know, leader, good leadership, the things that we've talked about in our in our new book entitled "Using Predictive Analytics to Improve Healthcare Outcomes," we bring this um, examination of primary nursing to a whole new level of examination as it relates to outcomes. So when that uh, is finally finished, and I'll share with you all the international research that we're doing, we may want to have another conversation about this. Great. And I would just like to show you this book, John. I'm sure you know this book. But this is the last book we've written about primary nursing, and it, it really reflects 40 years of experience with primary nursing. Wonderful. So um, uh, people who want to know how primary nursing is today uh, can have access to this book versus, versus this one. <laughs> That's the one I probably have. This is the one you probably have. But this is the classic now. This was the one that was published in 1980, the first book written about primary nursing. And it's the definitive. Yep, I have that uh, one. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. behind me in the bookshelf. I don't see it out right offhand, but that I have that one in my bookshelf. Yeah, well, that's just okay. great. Well, this has been a wonderful journey walking with you in uh, talking about primary nursing, relationships at the center of care, and the importance as we go into the future of maintaining that relationship. So thank you, Marie, for yeah. thank you, Marie, for spending time with us today and sharing us your wisdom and your historical perspective in the relationship as the center of care. Thank you very much, John. It's been a real treat for me to have this opportunity to interact with you and to think about these these really important thoughts about who we are, where we've where we've come from, who we've been, and where we're going. And I don't know of anything um, more satisfying to think about then those kinds of thoughts. Thank you for this opportunity. Oh, you're, you're, you're welcome. It's been my pleasure, Marie. So we thank everyone that's been listening today to this episode with Marie Manthe and Primary Nursing. Uh, both Marie and I have been um, staff nurses. We've worked with the patients for years. We continue in healthcare, and we know the importance of this relationship. We know that in these times of COVID, it's been a very stressful time to say the least, even traumatic for some of you. And uh, within the concepts that Marie and I embrace with caring as the center, and it's starting with caring for self, and that's an aspect that they teach in relationship, uh, that's an aspect they teach in relationship-based care. You can't care for others if you don't care for self. So we want to encourage you that you are contemplative and that you are intentional in taking care of yourself, especially in these stressful times of caring for patients in COVID. But that relationship does matter, but the relationship with yourself is where it begins. Now, Marie, that's my reflection and encouragement for not only nurses, but healthcare staff, all who are touching the patient, even if they're the housekeeper, the security, the respiratory therapist, all those who are touching patients in this very stressful time of COVID, what would be an encouragement, word of encouragement that you would have for those that are involved in patient care? You know, I think that, thanks, John. I think that 
for all who have been involved. And one of the things I particularly like about the information the public has been having about healthcare is that we're recognizing that everybody who comes into contact with a patient has very similar experiences to deal with. And so I, I like the fact that we are more interdepartmental and interprofessional now than we used to be. John and I both had many years as staff nurses, and we had that, that intense feeling of, of satisfaction from the interaction and the, and the relationship we had with patients. And I'm sure that some of that is the same now. And I also feel pretty clearly that it has, it has become much, much more difficult in the height of the COVID uh, epidemic. And I think that um, as, as we begin to move out of that, uh, it'll be an opportunity to reconnect with some of the other values in nursing. I'm so proud of the kind of care I've been reading about and listening to nurses talk about they're able to provide. I know it's been extremely difficult to be that last person in the room when a patient is dying and to be there with them for that. But I am so proud of us for being able to do that and to understand how important that has been. So I really feel that you who have been at the bedside have been shining a light on the really, the really important human values that we want to continue with in the future. And um, I, I just feel for myself personally, I want to say that I have enormous pride in this profession and recognize that for many of our practitioners, it has required nothing but courage to walk through the fear of everyday care. And um, I, and I think most of society feels a lot of pride and gratitude for, uh, for the practice that we've been seeing. Thank you. Great, thank you, Marie.